This is Plant-Based Briefing, How Effective Are Campaigns Like Meatless Mondays or Veganuary? Part 2 by Nelson Huber-Distla and NutritionStudies.org. I'm Marian Erickson, host of this plant-based podcast, where I research and find a variety of articles on plant-based and vegan living, get permission, and share them with you here in about 10 minutes or less every weekday. And I'm thrilled to have permission to share content from NutritionStudies.org. And this article was a bit longer than 10 minutes, so it's a two-parter. I read part one yesterday, so go back and listen to that first, and then this part two today will make more sense. So now let's get to today's plant-based briefing. How Effective Are Campaigns Like Meatless Mondays or Veganuary? Part two by Nelson Huber-Distla at NutritionStudies.org. Successes and Shortcomings of a Moderate Approach. Proponents of the flexitarian or reducitarian movements suggest that cutting down is more likely to succeed because it's far easier for most consumers than eliminating all animal foods. Yes, cutting back is better than doing nothing. As the surveys in Ghent suggest, removing one day of meat consumption can eventually lead to more days. And if everyone in the UK adopted Meat-Free Monday, it would result in more carbon savings than taking 5 million cars off the road, not to mention the many other environmental, social, and health benefits. Incidentally, there were about 33 million passenger cars in the UK in 2020, meaning that if they ditched meat entirely, they would achieve carbon savings greater than taking every single passenger car off the road. One concern, however, is the problematic framing at the outset of some LMIs. To illustrate, consider the stated purpose of the investigation cited above. Quote, The aim of this article is to explore LMI's potential to contribute to a transition towards a more sustainable system of meat provisioning. Given the inherent inefficiencies of animal agriculture, surely the goal should be to transition toward a sustainable system, period, not just a more moderate system of meat provisioning. In Cape Town, South Africa, the coordinator of their meat-free day says, quote, Eliminating meat from your diet for one day a week will result in a saving that can be used to buy healthier and more humane, free-range meat, unquote. Again, is this the victory we should be aiming for? Can we not achieve more? Finally, there is evidence that while LMIs do raise awareness and stimulate debate, their demands, measured as they might be, might be too radical to translate into mainstream adoption. There have even been a few instances of vehement protest against the introduction of meat-free days. In the UK, the Green Party in Brighton tried to implement a meat-free day in the town council's catering outlets, but had to backtrack almost immediately due to backlash from the town's disgusted refuse collectors. How can we support or improve LMIs? The Brighton example illustrates a critical point. LMIs are far likelier to succeed when individuals and institutions feel they can opt in and take responsibility for the changes. On the other hand, when the initiative feels like an imposition, it is far likelier to fail. It's no surprise that participants want to feel like they have agency and are creating something new and exciting, as seems to be the case in Ghent. A 2020 article by a group of predominantly British researchers highlights four priorities for a successful food purchasing or consumption intervention. One, minimize disruption. Two, sell a compelling benefit. Three, maximize awareness. And four, help shift norms. How well do most LMIs integrate these goals? In an article cited earlier in which researchers relied on a diffusion analysis framework, analyzing how ideas, practices, or policies spread, the researchers suggested that LMIs excel at the third of these priorities, maximizing awareness. As a consequence of increasing awareness, they probably also help to shift norms, such that meatless options seem less like a fringe choice. However, to be even more effective, there should be an emphasis on the other two priorities. A minimally disruptive intervention is affordable, tasty, and preferably familiar. 
Ideally, meatless options would be cheaper than animal-based choices, and LMIs would stress their convenience and taste. Toward this end, processed meat substitutes might bridge the gap to healthier whole food plant-based options. However, relying on less healthy meat alternatives risks underselling the full potential of dietary lifestyle change. Education remains crucial for selling the benefits of plant-based lifestyles. That includes teaching nutrition, the impact of our choices, and how to implement change. Remember, Ghent has invested thousands of dollars to provide free cooking classes to its residents. Finally, we should maybe reassess our expectations for what LMIs can and should achieve. We need to be realistic about the limitations of such campaigns, which tend to place the brunt of the responsibility on individuals rather than addressing broken systems. Although well-intentioned, the focus on the individual can only get us so far as long as powerful industries like food and pharmaceutical and the government promote unsustainably high levels of meat consumption through a combination of agricultural subsidies, corruptible dietary guidelines, and media control. The previously cited article on the tobacco industry's decades-old strategies proves that focusing on individual choice alone is not likely to be enough. Policy changes are essential, despite corporate America's tendency to fearmonger about the nanny state. We should be mindful of how powerful actors maintaining this status quo, described as a metonomic system, appropriate the language of free choice while artificially manipulating market conditions. It would be naive to expect confused, disempowered individual consumers whose doctors are undereducated about the value of nutrition to consistently make truly free choices. We're not even paying what we should for our choices. When negative externalities are factored in, such as the cost of environmental and human health consequences of animal agriculture and meat consumption, the true cost of animal agriculture is much higher than what most consumers pay. And yet the metonomic system continues to maintain the farce of free choice. Even just changing the default layout of a menu modifies the decisions consumers make. Researchers have found that placing vegetarian meals at the top of a menu increases purchases by 6%. Turning meatless days and months into whole food plant-based years. The livestock industry in the UK has contested LMIs, and several years ago, the communications director for the Animal Agriculture Alliance remarked that these campaigns are something to watch, which suggested they are causing at least some alarm. Furthermore, the need for such a movement has arguably never been higher, given out-of-control health care costs environmental crises left and right, and multiple epidemics of diet-related diseases. However, there remains a lack of clarity about the effectiveness of these initiatives. Is their primary purpose to provoke lasting change or to raise awareness? The latter is not a guarantee of the former. And if their goal is to transform the global diet, are the changes they advocate for substantial enough? Given that red meat intake is 300-600% to higher than recommended levels in Europe and the Americas, to give an example— Perhaps we require a more radical approach. It all depends on us. How do we choose to view the goals of such campaigns? Are they the early steps toward eradicating animal products from the diet, or only a step toward moderately less unsustainable meat provisioning? Are we pairing them with policy changes that disincentivize unsustainable production and consumption? As the aphorism goes, we shouldn't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. The growing popularity of these initiatives is nothing to sneer at. They indicate a potentially powerful curiosity and enthusiasm. And in the most successful cases, as in Ghent, they are an exciting step in the right direction. But we must not mistake steps for destinations. To ensure Meatless Mondays don't go the way of Wheatless Wednesdays, confined to the history books, their goals must become the cornerstones of lifestyles, not fads.
You just listened to How Effective Are Campaigns Like Meatless Mondays or Veganuary, Part 2 by Nelson Huber Disla at nutritionstudies.org, and I'm Marian Erickson, your host. If you'd like to check out some episodes on related topics or topics that were mentioned in this article, I'll link these in the show notes, but you can check out 92, No Purveyor of Unhealthy Products Wants the Public to Know the Truth by Michael Greger at nutritionfacts.org. That's about the tobacco industry and how the food industry is using their playbook. 622 and 623, What Farm Subsidies Are and Why They Matter by Bjorn Olofsson at Sentient Media. 271, Doctors Don't Learn Nutrition in Med School, Here's How That Affects You. And 396, A Registered Dietitian's Professional and Personal Journey to Whole Food Plant-Based Nutrition. So please share this episode with anyone who might benefit, and thanks for listening.